Episode 38, Animal Farm. Have any good pharma advertisers. What the fuck is that? Can we at least get some of that money? For you, but you don't have anybody that's got the, the right, uh, you know, this is all Rolodexes, right? Yeah. He's got to find some guy with the with the drug company Rolodex. He could probably, you know, make the company a billion-dollar <laughs> company overnight. Hey, if you know anyone in the pharma industry, we'll be happy to make a show. Like, two to the arm. It's good, kids. Come on, we can do that. John, we'll do that show. <laughs> it's good for you, kids. Vote for jobs. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yo! Jobs. Jobs, jobs, and jobs. Let's <laughs> vote for jobs. <laughs> Meanwhile, the U.S. Census Bureau... That never gets old. ...does not. Welcome to episode 38 of J Won't Darts Podcast, where I share my favorite books, kind of like a tall white vegan Oprah. My intros were from No Agenda episode 117 and the song Optimistic by Radiohead. It's one of the many songs that reference Animal Farm. I'll play another for the outro. George Orwell is most well known for his story 1984, but I prefer his earlier work Animal Farm. Animal Farm is a wonderful book, mostly aimed at the Soviet Union and communism. Basically, all the main characters are based on real-life political figures, such as Lenin, Karl Marx, and Stalin. Other farms represent the US and UK, and several collective flocks of animals represent social classes of people. In the preface of a 1947 Ukrainian edition of Animal Farm, George Orwell explained how escaping the communist purges in Spain taught him, quote, how easily totalitarian propaganda can control the opinion of enlightened people in democratic countries. End quote. This motivated Orwell to expose and strongly condemn what he saw as the Stalinist corruption of the original socialist ideals. In that preface, Orwell also described what gave him the idea of setting the book on a farm. Quote, I saw a little boy, perhaps ten years old, driving a huge cart horse along a narrow path whipping it whenever it tried to turn. It struck me that if only such animals became aware of their strength, we should have no power over them, and that men exploit animals in much the same way as the rich exploit the proletariat. End quote. That's a great quote that also relates to animal rights. One night, Major an elderly pig on Manor Farm has a strange dream that the animals could better themselves and live freely instead of being repressed by humans, such as Mr. Jones, their farmer. Jones often gets drunk and is not attentive of matters on his farm. The animals begin a revolution and rise up against their oppressor, the humans. And yet by the end of the book, we see things have not worked out so well for all of the animals. I'll read part of Major's speech. Comrades, you have heard already about the strange dream that I had last night. But I will come to the dream later. I have something else to say first. I do not think, comrades, that I shall be with you for many months longer. And before I die, I feel it my duty to pass on to you such wisdom as I have acquired. I have had a long life. 
I have had much time for thought as I lay alone in my stall, and I think I may say that I understand the nature of life on this earth as well as any animal now living. It is about this that I wish to speak to you. Now, comrades, what is the nature of this life of ours? Let us face it, our lives are miserable, laborious, and short. We are born, we are given just so much food as will keep the breath in our bodies, and those of us who are capable of it are forced to work to the last atoms of our strength. In the very instant that our usefulness has come to an end, we are slaughtered with hideous cruelty. No animal in England knows the meaning of happiness or leisure after he is a year old. No animal in England is free. The life of an animal is misery and slavery. This is the plain truth. But is this simply part of the order of nature? Is this because this land of ours is so poor that it cannot afford a decent life to those who dwell upon it? No, comrades, a thousand times no. The soil of England is fertile. Its climate is good. It is capable of affording a food in abundance to an enormously greater number of animals than now inhibit it. This single farm of ours would support a dozen horses, twenty cows, hundreds of sheep, and all of them living in a com comfort and a dignity that are now almost beyond our imagining. Why then do we continue in this miserable condition? Because nearly the whole of the produce of our labour is stolen from us by human beings. There, comrades, is the answer to all of our problems. It is summed up in a single word, man. Man is the only real enemy we have. Remove man from the scene, and the root cause of hunger and overwork is abolished forever. Man is the only creature that consumes without producing. He does not give milk, he does not lay eggs, he is too weak to pull the plough, he cannot run fast enough to catch the rabbits. Yet he is lord of all the animals, he sets them to work, he gives back to them the bare minimum that will prevent them from starving, and the rest he keeps for himself. Our labour tills the soil, our dung fertilises it, and yet there is not one of us that owns more than his bare skin. You cows that I see before me, how many thousands of gallons of milk have you given during this last year? And what has happened to that milk, which should have been breeding up sturdy calves? Every drop of it has gone down the throats of our enemies. And you hens, how many eggs have you laid in this last year? And how many of those eggs have hatched into chickens? The rest have all gone to market, to bring in money for Jones and his men. And you, Clover, where are those four fowls you bore, who should have been the support and pleasure of your old age? Each was sold at a year old. You will never see one of them again. In return for your four confinements and all of your labour in the fields, what have you ever had except your bare rations and a stall? And even the miserable lives we lead are not allowed to reach their natural span. For myself, I do not grumble, for I am one of the lucky ones. I am twelve years old, and have had over four hundred children. Such is the natural life of a pig. But no animal escapes the cruel knife in the end. You young porkers who are sitting in front of me, every one of you will scream your lives out at the block within a year. To that horror we all must come. Cows, pigs, hens, sheep, everyone. Even the horses and the dogs have no better fate. You boxer, the very day that those great muscles of yours lose their strength, Jones will sell you to the knacker, who will cut your throat and boil you down for the foxhounds. As for the dogs, when they grow old and toothless, Jones ties a brick round their necks and drowns them in the nearest pond. Is it not crystal clear then, comrades, that all of the evils of this life of ours spring from the tyranny of human beings? Only get rid of man, 
and the produce of our labor would be our own. Almost overnight we could become rich and free. What then must we do? Why, work night and day, body and soul, for the overthrow of the human race. That is my message to you, comrades. Rebellion! I do not know when the rebellion will come. It might be in a week or in a hundred years. But I know that as surely as I see the straw beneath my feet, that sooner or later justice will be done. Fix your eyes on that, comrades, throughout the short remainder of your lives. And above all, pass on this message of mine to those who come after you, so that future generations shall carry on that struggle until it is victorious. And remember, comrades, your resolution must never falter. No argument must lead you astray. Never listen to what they tell you, that man and the animals have a common interest, that the prosperity of the one is the prosperity of the others. It is all lies. Man serves the interests of no creature except himself. And among us animals, let there be perfect unity, perfect comradeship in the struggle. All men are enemies, all animals are comrades. There are two main quotes best remembered from Animal Farm. The shortest and easiest to remember is four legs good, two legs bad, which is quoted by the animals often. Another is the original commandments given out by Major. Whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. No animal shall wear clothes. No animal shall sleep in a bed. No animal shall drink alcohol. No animal shall kill any other animal. And all animals are created equal. The last commandment is morphed by the end of the story into All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. I love the ending of the book. The way the pigs change is amazing. I really don't want to spoil the ending for you. It's reason enough for you to read this short story. In Animal Farm, the pigs are generally treated as the most intelligent animals, and probably the sheep are the most dim-witted. The sheep act as cheerleaders, mindlessly shouting slogans taught to them by the ruling politician. The pigs start off as being ruled by Napoleon and Snowball. Napoleon is more concerned about himself, while Snowball thinks up grand plans to better all animals. Napoleon gathers his own secret police, who on his command drive out Snowball. I love how the secret police come into being. I never expected it, and yet it's so logical. I won't spoil that surprise for you either. Napoleon takes control as a dictator. He has the other remaining pigs work for him. There are a few named pigs, such as Squealer, who acts as second in command and distributes propaganda, and Minimus, who writes songs singing praise of Napoleon. One of my favourite characters is the minor figure of Moses the Raven. He only shows up a couple of times in the book, but is very important symbolically. I'll read from novelguide.com's character guide. The web page is in my show notes which you can see on an iPod by going to the lyrics, or you can go to my blog, jwontdart.blogspot.com, to read my full notes, which have sources at the bottom. Moses is perhaps Orwell's most intriguing character in Animal Farm. This raven, first described as the special pet of Mr. Jones, is the only animal who doesn't work. He's also the only character who doesn't listen to Old Major's speech of rebellion. Orwell narrates... The pigs had an even harder struggle to counteract the lies put about by Moses, the tame raven. Moses, who was Mr. Jones' special pet, was a spy and a tale-bearer, but he was also a clever talker. 
he claimed to know the existence of a mysterious country called Sugar Candy Mountain, to which all animals went when they died. It was situated somewhere up in the sky, a little distance beyond the clouds, Moses said. In Sugar Candy Mountain, it was Sunday seven days a week, clover was in season all year round, and lump sugar and linseed cake grew on the hedges. The animals hated Moses because he told tales and did no work, but some of them believed in Sugar Candy Mountain, and the pigs had to argue very hard to persuade them that there was no such place. Moses represents Orwell's view of the church. To Orwell, the church is just used as a tool by dictatorships to keep the working class of people hopeful and productive. Orwell uses Moses to criticise Marx's belief that the church will just go away after the rebellion. Jones first used Moses to keep the animals working, and he was successful in many ways before the rebellion. The pigs had a real hard time getting rid of Moses, since the lies about heaven they thought would only lead the animals away from the equality of socialism. But, as the pigs led by Napoleon became more and more like Mr. Jones, Moses finds his place again. After being away for several years, he suddenly returns and picks up right where he left off. The pigs don't mind this time, because the animals have already realised that the equality of the revolt is a farce. So Napoleon feeds Moses with beer, and the full circle is complete. Orwell seems to offer a very cynical and harsh view of the church. This proves that Animal Farm is not simply an anti-communist work, meant to lead people into capitalism and Christianity. Really, Orwell found loopholes and much hypocrisy in both systems. It's interesting that recently in Russia, the government has begun to allow religion again. It almost seems that like the pigs, the Kremlin officials of today are trying to keep their people motivated, not in the ideology of communism, but in the old-fashioned hope of an afterlife. I like Moses because he's one of the very few minor characters who don't directly speak. I don't remember hearing him actually talking during the book. It's always mentioned by the narrator what Moses told the other animals, but we never hear him directly speak. One other minor character is similar to this, the cat, who never does any work, but will show up when there is food. I don't think we hear the cat talk directly, either. The narrator mentions her telling the sparrows just out of her reach, that they're all equal comrades after the revolution, and that if one of the sparrows wanted to, they could sit on her paw. I'm glad that none of the birds take her up on her offer. Another of my favourite characters is Benjamin the donkey. He is quite old, never has anything positive to say. He doesn't speak much, but is present at all the major events. Benjamin never believes the revolution will change anything. When asked why he's not enthused, Benjamin explains, Donkeys live a long time. None of you has ever seen a dead donkey, by which he means he's seen a lot of how things work, and that the future will not be in the animal's favour. Another quote is, only old Benjamin professed to remember every detail of his long life, and to know that things never had been, nor ever could be, much better or much worse. Hunger, hardship, and disappointment being, so he said, the unalterable law of life. Probably the most tragic character in Animal Farm is Boxer, the strong workhorse. He is not intelligent, and has trouble remembering what he has learnt, he can't remember the alphabet, and so cannot read or write like some of the other animals, but he works hard and believes in his leaders. Boxer has a personal motto of, I will work harder, which could be a nod to the book The Jungle, 
which is an expose on the meatpacking industry of the early 20th century. Boxer is by far the strongest animal, being the largest male horse. He pulls every heavy load and protects the farm with his strong kicks. He has an awful fate that almost makes me cry every time I read the book. Boxer collapses having worked himself to death. I'll read that passage now. There lay Boxer between the shafts of his cart, his neck stretched out, unable even to raise his head. His eyes were glazed, his sides matted with sweat. A thin stream of blood had trickled out of his mouth. Clover dropped to her knees at his side. Boxer, she cried, how are you? It is my lung, said Boxer in a weak voice. It does not matter. I think you will be able to finish the windmill without me. There is a pretty good store of stone accumulated. I had only another month to go in any case. To tell you the truth, I had been looking forward to my retirement. And perhaps, as Benjamin is growing old too, they will let him retire at the same time and be a companion to me. We must get help at once, said Clover. Run, somebody, and tell Squealer what has happened. All the other animals immediately raced back to the farmhouse to give Squealer the news. Only Clover remained, and Benjamin, who lay down at Boxer's side, and without speaking, kept the flies off him with his long tail. After about a quarter of an hour, Squealer appeared, full of sympathy and concern. He said that Comrade Napoleon had learned with the very deepest distress of this misfortune to one of the most loyal workers on the farm, and was already making arrangements to send Boxer to be treated in the hospital at Willingdon. The animals felt a little uneasy at this. Except for Molly and Snowball, no other animal had left the farm, and they did not like to think of their sick comrade in the hands of human beings. However, Squealer convinced them easily that the veterinary surgeon in Willingdon could treat Boxer's case more satisfactorily than could be done at the farm. And about half an hour later, when Boxer had somewhat recovered, he was with difficulty got onto his feet and managed to limp back to his stall, where Clover and Benjamin had prepared a good bed of straw for him. For the next two days, Boxer remained in his stall. The pigs had sent out a large bottle of pink medicine, which they had found in the medicine chest in the bathroom, and Clover administered it to Boxer twice a day after meals. In the evenings, she lay in his stall and talked to him, while Benjamin kept the flies off him. Boxer professed not to be sorry for what had happened. If he made a good recovery, he might expect to live another three years, and he looked forward to the peaceful days that he would spend in the corner of the big pasture. It would be the first time that he had the leisure to study and improve his mind. He intended, he said, to devote the rest of his life to learning the remaining 22 letters of the alphabet. However, Benjamin and Clover could only be with Boxer after working hours, and it was in the middle of the day when the van came to take him away. The animals were all at work, weeding turnips under the supervision of a pig, when they were astonished to see Benjamin come galloping from the direction of the farm buildings, braying at the top of his voice. It was the first time that they had ever seen Benjamin excited. Indeed, it was the first time that anyone had ever seen him gallop. Quick, quick, he shouted. Come at once, they're taking Boxer away. Without waiting for orders from the pig, the animals broke off work and raced back to the farm buildings. Sure enough, there in the yard was a large closed van, drawn by two horses, with lettering on its side and a sly-looking man in a low-crowned bowler hat sitting on the driver's seat, and Boxer's stall was empty. The animals crowded around the van, 
Goodbye, Boxer, they chorused. Goodbye. Fools! Fools! shouted Benjamin, prancing round them and stamping the earth with his small hooves. Fools! Do you not see what is written on the side of that van? That gave the animals pause, and there was a hush. Muriel began to spell out the words, but Benjamin pushed her aside. In the midst of a deadly silence, he read, Alfred Simmons, horse slaughterer and glue boiler, Wellington, dealer in hides and bone meal, kennels supplied. Do you not understand what that means? They are taking Boxer to the knackers. A cry of horror burst from all the animals. At this moment, the man on the box whipped up his horses, and the van moved out of the yard at a smart trot. All the animals followed, crying out at the tops of their voices. Clover forced her way to the front. The van began to gather speed. Clover tried to stir her stout limbs to a gallop, and achieved a canter. Boxer! she cried. Boxer! Boxer! And just at this moment, as though he heard the uproar outside, Boxer's face, with the white stripe down his nose, appeared at the small window at the back of the van. Boxer! cried Clover in a terrible voice. Boxer! Get out! Get out quickly! They're taking you to your death! That's my terrible voice. All the animals took up the cry of, Get out, Boxer! Get out! But the van was already gathering speed and drawing away from them. It was uncertain whether Boxer had understood what Clover had said, but a moment later his face disappeared from the window, and there was the sound of a tremendous drumming of hooves inside the van. He was trying to kick his way out. The time had been when a few kicks from Boxer's hooves would have smashed the van to matchwood, but alas, his strength had left him, and in a few moments the sound of drumming hooves grew fainter and died away. In desperation, the animals began appealing to the two horses which drew the van to a stop. Comrades, comrades, they shouted, don't take your own brother to his death. But the stupid brutes, too ignorant to realise what was happening, merely set back their ears and quickened their pace. Box's face did not reappear at the window. Too late, someone thought of racing ahead and shutting the five-barred gate. But in another moment, the van was through it and rapidly disappearing down the road. Boxer was never seen again. Three days later, it was announced that he had died in the hospital at Willingdon, in spite of receiving every attention a horse could have. Squealer came to announce the news to the others. He had, he said, been present during Boxer's last hours. It was the most affecting sight I have ever seen, said Squealer, lifting his trotter and wiping away a tear. I was at his bedside at the very last. And at the end, almost too weak to speak, he whispered in my ear that his sole sorrow was to have passed on before the windmill was finished. Forward, comrades, he whispered. Forward in the name of the rebellion. Long live Animal Farm. Long live Comrade Napoleon. Napoleon is always right. Those were his very last words, comrades. Here Squirrel's demeanour suddenly changed. He fell silent for a moment, and his little eyes darted suspicious glances from side to side, before he proceeded. It had come to his knowledge, he said, that a foolish and wicked rumour had been circulated at the time of Boxer's removal. Some of the animals had noticed that the van, which took Boxer away, was marked Horse Slaughterer, and had actually jumped to the conclusion that Boxer was being sent to the knackers. It was almost unbelievable, said Squiller, that any animal could be so stupid. Surely, he cried indignantly, whisking his tail and skipping from side to side, Surely they knew that their beloved leader, Comrade Napoleon, better than that. But the explanation was really very simple. The van had previously been the property of the knacker, had been bought by the surgeon, 
who had not yet painted the old name out. That was how the mistake had arisen. The animals were enormously relieved to hear this. And when Squealer went on to give further graphic details of Box's deathbed, the admirable care he had received, and the expensive medicines for which Napoleon had paid, without a thought as to the cost, their last doubts disappeared, and the sorrow that they felt for their comrade's death was tempered by the thought that at least he had died happy. Napoleon himself appeared at the meeting on the following Sunday morning, and pronounced a short oration in Box's honour. It had not been possible, he said, to bring back their lamented comrades' remains for interment on the farm, but he had ordered a large wreath to be made from the laurels in the farmhouse garden, and sent down to be placed on Box's grave. And in a few days' time, the pigs intended to hold a memorial banquet in Box's honour. Napoleon ended his speech with the remainder of Box's two favourite maxims, I will work harder, and Comrade Napoleon is always right. Maxims, he said, which every animal would do well to adopt as his own. On the day appointed for the banquet, a grocer's van drove up from Wellington and delivered a large wooden crate at the farmhouse. That night there was the sound of uproarious singing, which was followed by what sounded like a violent quarrel, and ended about eleven o'clock, with a tremendous crash of glass. No one stirred in the farmhouse before noon on the following day, and the word went round that from somewhere or other the pigs had acquired the money to buy themselves another case of whiskey. I'll play a clip that explains Animal Farm's plot better. The novel Animal Farm begins with a rousing speech by the revered boar affectionately called Old Major. Old Major speaks of a dream of a bright future where animals are free of Mr. Jones's oppressive control. A German economist named Karl Marx wrote about a similar idea. Marx foresaw a day when the workers would rise against the ruling elite. The words of Marx spread quickly and appealed to the many who felt exploited and abused. In Russia, people became organized and formed the Bolshevik party. A revolution soon followed. After removing Tsar Nicholas II from the throne, the people were determined to create a new government free of the disparities in wealth that had been prevalent in the past. Their symbol became a hammer and a sickle to represent the worker. In animal form, the animals grew tired of being mistreated and underfed. Eventually, the tension broke out into a spontaneous revolution. When the dust settled, the animals were in charge of their own fate. Beforehand, a raven named Moses flew around the farm spreading rumors of a magical place called Sugar Candy Mountain where they would be rewarded for the difficult lives they endured. Similarly, the church appeased the masses by providing hope, preaching that man would be rewarded with eternal life in heaven for their devotion. This idea of a beneficent afterlife did not appeal to the pigs who quickly rose to power on the newly christened animal farm. They want to change now. In Russia, the leadership void was filled by Lenin, a great speaker with big ideas. During his time in charge, he had many trusted advisors, one of whom was Stalin. When Lenin died, there was a power struggle to see who would lead the largest nation in the world. The front-runner was Stalin, who pointed to his track record and close relationship with Lenin as proof of his commitment to the people. He used propaganda to drive his point home. 
He also used propaganda to vilify his enemies, especially Leon Trotsky, his former friend and recent rival. Eventually, Stalin had Trotsky murdered, beginning a bloody reign the likes of which had seldom been seen before. But it was not enough for Stalin to simply kill his enemies. He went a step further and had them erased. His people searched through the archives and removed all trace of his enemies ever having existed. This was revisionist history at its worst. Stalin instituted the secret police who would seek out dissenters and detractors. Effectively, there was no place safe from Stalin's ever watchful eye. In Animal Farm, Napoleon quickly put forth a plan to not only run out Snowball, but eliminate all memory of him. Napoleon soon found that he would have external threats as well. For Russia, that threat was in the form of Adolf Hitler, who was sweeping across Europe. But Hitler realized that the threat of Russian involvement would be nigh insurmountable. A mutually beneficial treaty was the result of talks between Hitler and Stalin. But how long would the honeymoon last? The answer? Not very long at all. War broke out in Stalingrad. And as the conflict escalated, so did the casualties. In the end, millions were killed. But the Russian winter proved to be Hitler's undoing. Stalin kept a hold of his country, for the time being. In Animal Farm, Napoleon was able to stave off the invading enemy. But it would soon be clear that Napoleon himself had become that which the animals had sworn to fight. History would see Stalin fall, but Orwell teaches that we must guard ourselves against all oppressive despots to ensure a brighter tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I really do hope everyone listening decides to read Animal Farm. It's only about 112 pages in length. You can read it at a leisurely pace over a weekend. There are even websites online where you can read the full text for free. One copy can be found on george-orwell.org. I'll include that in my notes as well as the ebook I downloaded, the full text of Animal Farm on my computer, and it just takes up a fifth of a megabyte. No doubt this episode of my podcast will end up being a hundred times that. Sorry to waste your hard drive space. There's so much to learn from Animal Farm. The best thing to do is for you to read the story for yourself. My outro song will be the song Animal and Man by the rap group Dead Prayers. You might recognize them from the song's backing music. That song was used on Chappelle's show. I like political hip-hop music and started liking Dead Prayers when I heard songs like this spreading a great message. I don't eat no meat. 
no dairy, no sweets, only ripe vegetables, fresh fruit and whole wheat. I'm from the old school, my household smell like soul food, bruh, curry falafel, barbecue tofu, no fish though, no candy bars, no cigarettes, only ganja, fresh squeezed juice from oranges, exercising daily to stay healthy, and I rarely drink water out the tap cause it's filthy. Lentil soup is mental fruit and ginger root is good for the youths. Fresh vegetable with them ital stew. Sweet yam fries with the green callaloo. Careful how you season and prepare your foods. Cause you don't want to lose vitamins and minerals. And that's the jewel. Life brings life. It's valuable. So I eat what come from the ground. It's natural. Let your food be your medicine. No excedrin. Strictly herb generates from the sun. Cause I got melanin and drink water. Eight glasses a day, cause that's what they say. They say you are what you eat, so I strive to eat healthy. My goal in life is not to be rich or wealthy, cause true wealth comes from good health and wise ways. We got to start taking better care of ourselves. I could have just let that song go on and on. At least one of the two in Dead Prayers is vegan, the other is possibly vegetarian. At live shows, they're known to throw out apples to the crowd. The outro I'm going to play has some harsh language in it. It's a retelling of Animal Farm. Thank you for listening to my humble podcast. You can find the script for this episode as well as downloads for every episode of J Won't Dart's podcast at jwontdart.blogspot.com. If you want to contact me, even just to say you listened, send an email to jwontdart at gmail.com. jwontdart at gmail.com. I'd appreciate it. All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Have a super happy day. Bye. Help me. You asked me to help you. Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction. Once upon a time, there was a very serious situation brewing. There was a farmer and a farmyard filled with animals, and this is the story of their times. Old man Sammy had a farm, walked the land with the rifle, most of the time shit was calm, his whole life was maintained off the everyday labor from the mules in the field to the cattle in the stable, this is how he kept food on his table. You would have thought he was disabled from the way he be relaxing, acting like Mr. Magnificent. But the animals was thinking something different The sentiment was tension in the barnyard Throughout the years they hadn't been through mad drama With the farmer world is barn guard And they all came to one conclusion They argued it was no way that they'd ever be free If it was up to humans Therefore the only course left was revolution Which was understandable And since the pigs promised to lead it in the interest of all the animals They planned a full attack Under the leadership of Hannibal, the fattest pig in the pack The next morning on the farm Everything was calm Just before dawn, but before long the sun Got so hot it make the farm seem electric. Now check it. This is when that shit got hectic. Directed by Hannibal, the animals attack. Old Sam was in a state of shock. He fell up on his back and dropped his rifle. Reaching in vain. Each and every creature from the field at his throat screaming, kill, feel the pain. This is the animal the man. This is the animal the youth. This is the animal the man. Coming true. This is the animal the man. This is the animal in you. This is the animal in man. Coming true, true, true. After they ran the farmer off the farm. 
pigs went round and call a meeting in the barn. Hannibal spoke for several hours, but when he talked about his plans for power, that's when the conversation turned sour. He issued an official ordinance to set. If you're not a pig from this day forth, then you supporting it. That's when the horses went buck wild. One of them shouted out, you fraudulent pigs, we know your fucking style. Hannibal's face was flushed and pale. All the animals' eyes full of disgust and betrayal. He fell the same way Sam fell. They took his tongue out his mouth and cut his body up for sale for real. You better listen while you can. It's a very thin line between animal and man. When Hannibal crossed the line, they all took a stand. What would you have done? Shook his hand. This is the animal and man. This is the animal and man. This is the animal and you. This is the animal and man. Coming true. This is the animal and man. The animal in you, this is the animal in man, coming true. Remember, 